it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, along with my co-host, Andrea Sutton. Hey, good morning, Tom. And we're uh, broadcasting live from the Kanye West campaign headquarters. I tell you, they're everywhere. (laughs) I'm kidding. We're actually, uh, um, I'm in the bunker, and I'm not sure where Andrea is, but that's true most of the time. <laughs> Out in the country. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> the, the neighbor's cow was just as annoying as the uh, yappy little dog I used to have next door when I lived near Flint. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make it up. <laughs> no, you really can't. I I, st- I still will never forget the uh, time that you had to to climb the antenna, the TV antenna of your house to get cell phone yeah. reception. That's you got out it. there. That's out Back there. Back in the day. <laughs> anyway, Kanye West is. Uh, I I don't know if this is a serious thing or not. I think he's just stir- trying to stir the pot. Yeah? The yeah. Drunk, yeah. But there he goes! <laughs> <laughs> we don't need anyone crazy in office. Yeah. Well, it, it'd be like, uh, I don't know, um, changing channels from one reality TV show to another. Preach it right there. Yep. Yep. I can't even believe it's, uh, I don't know, come this far. Going from the Trump dynasty to the uh, Cardassians. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oi. Yeah, I I really don't know what I don't know what to make of it when I hear serious pundits uh, actually talking about the possibility of Kanye West taking votes away from Joe Biden. I'm like, 
are people really going to so. take this seriously? Oh, I did see, and you'll like you'll like this. Um, Vermin Supreme challenged Kanye West to a Zoom debate. That I could get into. I know, right? That would be perfect. <laughs> that would be perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I'd actually fire up my Zoom and watch that. I might even participate Actually, yeah. in something like that. That would be fun. Ooh, a moderator. That'd be fun. You could host a forum. Because, you know, I like yeah. the vermin. You know, I, I, He's a cool dude. He really is pretty funny. I'm, I'm just really enamored with that boot on his head, though. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, while some politicians are walking around with their boots in their mouths. Uh, <laughs> he just puts it out there. He just sticks it on his head so it's right there close. <laughs> oh, geez, oh, Pete. Speaking of politics. Yes. What's going on, Tom? Um, <laughs> a little late on the drop there. Um, today's Wednesday, which means armchair politics is coming up at the uh, top of the uh, second hour of our three-hour tour for two hours of commentary and analysis from our world-class uh, cavalcade of uh, political pundits. So we have our... Roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right, and they'll be joined this week once again by uh, East Village Magazine editor Jan Worth Nelson. It's always uh, good, always fun when uh, Jan comes on board, and of course all of oh, the yeah. people that we have join us for the roundtable are uh, interesting and contribute cool. a lot in different ways. Uh, whether it's uh, Dane Walling or Woodrow Stanley. Um, Bobby Clayton Walton, um, Jan. Those are those are you know regu They're part of the regular rotation for the third chair. But there are some others that have sat in. We've had uh, Libertarian uh, candidate um, Bill Jeleno, who ran for uh, governor yeah. last time, and uh, also the Green Party candidate for governor. Um, oh, drat. Jennifer Kerland. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know why your name slipped my mind. Um, but also, uh, a uh, frequent guest on the show is uh, economist Chris Douglas, who will be uh, joining us uh, coming up after the first break, which is, I don't know, about 10, 12 minutes away. Uh, he'll be uh, joining me by phone. He's... Uh, an associate professor of uh, economics at the University of Michigan Flint and a regular contributor to the big broadcast here. And we'll yeah. be talking about the uh, economy and the impact of COVID-19 on the economy. I just read a report. This is kind of interesting. I'm going to run this by Chris. But um, that uh, a study that uh, did some comparisons of 4th of July weekend retail uh, from this year against last year oh, okay and uh, showing <laughs> that um, 
let's see traffic across all industries on the 4th itself that Saturday was right. only 52 just under 53 percent of what it was in 2019. Wow okay. So down you know by almost half. Quite a bit yeah. Uh, restaurants, bars, and cafes were gravely impacted as traffic was down roughly 60 percent for the weekend compared to last year. So 40 percent. Oh is this Michigan or is this USA completely? Uh, with the stats? That's a good question, and I'm not exactly sure. I think that's nationwide. Okay, all right. I could see that, yeah. Even more so down in Michigan, I would assume, because the uh, restaurants were closed to indoor dining and seating. Anyway, interesting. Uh, hmm. Yeah, it is. Apparently, Wall Street is beginning to study the correlation between face mask mandates and the state of our economy. And we'll see what Chris has to say about all that. You know, do, do these, mm -hmm. uh, um, how is what's affecting us regular people in the economy really having an effect on the overall economy and, and how much of an effect? We'll, we'll get into that and probably a lot more with Chris because he's uh, extremely knowledgeable. I'm wondering um, how the economy is going to do after the pandemic unemployment assistant and assistance ends in July, the end of July. Because I was reading something, I think it was um, Forbes, that said it's pretty much kept the economy going. You know, that extra $600 a week in unemployment. And they were pretty amazed that the economy hadn't crashed, but... Now that that's ending, I'm wondering if it's just going to be delaying things even more. Well, and I wonder, you know, what what we're putting off by exactly by these short-term fixes. And you know, I've been talking with uh, political candidates because of the August primary mm -hmm. coming up, and um, right. I've been sort of trying to get their feel for what's going to happen when all these bills come due for the state government or the feds for that matter mm -hmm. are they going to be able to um you know come up with uh, any kind of budgeting for ongoing uh, government services and stuff i mean how much of an impact is this short-term relief having on long-term budgeting yeah i don't see the roads getting fixed anytime soon no <laughs> <laughs> No, nope. we're going to be back to <laughs> dirt trails in no time. <laughs> <laughs> what were those old plank roads in the 1800s? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just cut down a tree and roll over it. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah it's going to be know. interesting. I don't know what's going to happen. Hey, I, uh, this is just this is just an aside. It's always a kick when this happens. I have a guest uh, scheduled for Friday during the ten o'clock or the second hour of the show um, named Larry Con Larry Ty T Y E. He was on the show a while back. Okay. He'd written a very very good book about um, RFK, uh, Bobby Kennedy. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, he's back with a new book. Uh, 
called Demagogue about, um, no, it's not who you think. It's, uh, it's, about Joseph, <laughs> it's about Joseph McCarthy. And oh, it's okay. uh, going to be kind of an interesting uh, interview, I think, uh, coming up this Friday. But, you know, as these uh, best-selling authors like Larry Ty, in fact, I think he might even be a Pulitzer Prize winner. I, I'll have to look through my, uh, my notes from last time or, or coming up. But um, when I have the, these uh, New York Times uh, bestsellers on the show, they're, they're doing tours. They're, they're doing all kinds of radio and television interviews oh, promoting yeah. their new books. And uh, I ran an errand yesterday, and I, and I heard Larry on public radio. Oh, Nellie, how cool is anyway, that? It was just kind of funny. So I was listening to the interview for a couple, not for long, just for a couple minutes, because I just ran, right. a, ran across the street to the dollar store. But um, it, was, uh, it was just kind of funny, because it's, you know, an interview that's coming right up. And I was like, oh, there's Larry. I'm gonna be talking to him on Friday. Yeah, it Larry. was just—it was just kind of—it was just kind of funny. It, oh, that's uh, happened to me before too. That's happened to me before too. Oh, here's yeah. So it's kind of fun. Here's somebody that that has been or is about to be on the show, on somebody else's uh, on somebody else's show. Yeah, yeah. That's been interesting. It's been interesting, and then I'm kind of like, oh, they didn't ask that question, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I like our interview better. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, we spend a little more time with guests than most exactly. media does, and um, it, it used to. I, I, I don't want to say it bothered me, but it got my attention when uh, Mark Jacobson was at uh, Channel Twelve and he started doing interviews with David Baldacci. Oh, really? Yeah, Maybe I didn't know. I, I saw him do a couple. Oh, okay. That I was not aware of. Anyway, then you know now now he's out in Vegas. So I think he might be back. Really? I hadn't heard I that think or so. seen that. Hmm. I don't know. I saw him on social media. Well, I'll have to. I'll have to poke around and and see if I can uh, get an update. Like on I that. said, I I think we'll have to see. I'll check it out. Oh, maybe, because, you know, he was working for one of the casinos, and they've all been closed. Yep, that's So maybe right. he's been back for an extended visit or something. I don't know. I think that was before COVID. Everything's well, like B.C., yeah, before yeah. COVID and after COVID. <laughs> I know, right? Well, anyway. That's the B.C. B.C. <laughs> we, uh have to do a brb actually uh right now because we're going to break but we will be right back with uh chris douglas and thanks to andrea and she'll be back uh, with me to kick things off tomorrow we'll probably have a little more time maybe we can take a few phone calls if we get any um but uh but thanks kiddo try and stay cool hey i will see you tomorrow all right take care okay We'll take a short break and we'll be back Hello with more right after this. It's me, Tigger. T I double G R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by America, the Ad Council. Your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having play dates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual play dates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. Lady of the house, please. <laughs> you thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky. Soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, early gate rock. All dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up, yes. The king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residents, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I wanted to get some new girlfriends, so I went and bought a Mercedes Benz. A waste of money. Eight thousand bucks down the drain. I thought the girls would get wild and reckless, so I bought cultured pearls and a diamond necklace. A waste of money. That cost me four thousand more. They were returned. I got no girls they repossessed. Both the car and the pearls. I styled my hair just like Cary Grant's. Bought a pair of those new tight pants. A waste of money. Household finance took my pants. <laughs> the female gender, I just don't get it. Just when I'm out of both cash and credit, I found a honey. This is what's funny. She don't need my money. She works for household finance. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner program, and uh, continuing on with uh, with the big shoe armchair politics coming up at the top of the hour. But in the meantime, we're going to talk with uh, economist Chris Douglas as we do from time to time. He's from the University of Michigan Flint. He joins me by phone. Hi, Chris. Welcome back. Hey, Tom. Good to be back. Um, Chris, one of the things, I, I, I just happened to read a, a study that was done comparing uh, uh, retail uh, foot traffic uh, for restaurants and bars and, and uh, so on by an organization called ZenReach, and they're estimating that uh, on the 4th of July itself, traffic across all industries was about 53% of what it was in 2019. Um, with the false starts and stops, you know, as, as we go through this, uh, you know, what can we do, what can't we do safely, and so on because of COVID-19, what kind of impact does that starting and stopping have on the economy overall? So I think it depends on what sector you're talking about, but for the bar and restaurant sector, I think it has a devastating impact. Uh, so you mentioned that foot traffic was 53% of what it was last year. Uh, that sounds about right since states like Michigan are limiting bars and restaurants to operating at 50% capacity or less. So if you're seeing 50% foot traffic, that means they're at 100% of the new capacity. 
Well, the problem is that most bars and restaurants can't be profitable when they're only allowed to serve at 50% capacity. Uh, the bar and restaurant industry is very competitive. Uh, profit margins are really thin. That you need to be really running at 100% capacity in order to um, barely break even. So maybe they could ride out 50% capacity at a loss for a short amount of time. But after not too long of a time period, you're going to start to see lots of these bars and restaurants permanently go out of business, which will slow down the economic recovery because that leads to long-term unemployment as people who worked in that, in that industry have to struggle to find work in a new industry. And how significant is the the uh, stimulus money? We we had the one uh, the one check, the twelve hundred dollars that everybody got. There's talk of a second one of those uh, potentially, and um, and of course now that that additional what was it six hundred dollars uh, a check uh, for um, people on public assistance, unemployment, and so on. Um, that's about to run out and and what happens if that runs out and we don't get that second stimulus check yeah so in terms of the stimulus um the original cares act which was passed either in late march or early april that's been crucial for preventing another great depression so the cares act gave most people twelve hundred dollars which allowed them to pay their bills by essentials um, that money's probably ran out for most people at this point, but it certainly bridged the gap from when the shutdown started to at least right now. Uh, the Paycheck Protection Program, there's been lots of hiccups with it that have been famously reported, but that's been instrumental in preventing businesses from facing long-term bankruptcy. That they could get a loan, which will probably turn into a grant if they meet certain criteria with regards to maintaining the payrolls. Um, that allows them to bridge the time from when the shutdown began to when they're allowed to reopen. So the original stimulus is really preventing people from just running out of funds and facing long-term bankruptcy. You know, without that program, you'd see massive unemployment. You'd see massive, uh, people call it a wave of bankruptcies, a biblical wave of bankruptcies, as, as it's been called. Well, that's all been delayed. But if this if the shutdown continues or if it it's going again, um, and the openings are reversed due to an up, uptick in cases, there's probably going to have to be a second stimulus to prevent that biblical wave of bankruptcies from happening. Uh, in terms of the $600, that's kind of a catch-22, uh, because the labor market's in better shape than what we thought it would be at this time back in March and April. Um, so there's pressure to remove that $600. Um, there's an argument to be made that the $600 is prolonging um, the labor market downturn because given the way the unemployment system is structured and how everyone got a blanket $600, um, people in certain industries can make more money on unemployment um, than they can going back to work if you're working, say, the retail sector, which makes it difficult for those businesses to find workers, which makes it more difficult for them to reopen and recover. So on the one hand, you can't really do the $600 forever um, unless you're just basically implementing a de facto $15 per hour minimum wage because that's how it kind of shakes out. But on the other hand, there is political pressure not to remove the $600 given that the economy is still in a downturn. So it's hard to know how that uh, catch-22 shakes out because there's really no good solution. 
<laughs> Chris, spoken like a true economist, you made my day. We got a on the one hand and on the other hand in in the first five minutes. <laughs> no, that's a classic example of it. Um, it that is a classic example of it, and and this this whole thing has be, become uh, extremely political, as we've seen uh, some states, and and they tend to be red states that are. Um, you know, have been anxious to get the economy going again. They've started opening in in summer beginning already to say that it was too soon. And we've seen Republican governors who are starting to walk back some of those uh, openings and and at least put them on pause and are starting to uh, mandate face masks where they, you know, refused to do it before. Um, is the uncertainty because of the up and down nature of of the number of cases of COVID? Does that create an uncertainty that makes its way to Wall Street, or has Wall Street sort of stabilized after the initial uh, shock? Yeah, I think that does create uncertainty, but it doesn't seem like Wall Street is responding to it in that. Uh, give the ups and downs in cases, and there's the famous increase in cases in places like Texas, Florida, and Arizona. Uh, the market doesn't seem to be responding to it. Um, the Dow Jones is at about 25,800. You know, that's largely unchanged from where it was a few weeks ago before the so-called spike has occurred. So either Wall Street's not super concerned about it, or it's already priced into stock prices and um as a result, the market's at about 26000 So it's hard to say um, what the effect of the uncertainty is on Wall Street, given that the market hasn't really moved wildly one way or the other in the last couple of weeks. Um, I think the uncertainty is more problematic for businesses in that, you know, if you own a bar or a restaurant, um, should you reopen? Should you rehire workers? Should you stay shut down to try to run it, ride it out? There's always the threat of the lockdown being reinstituted, and that really creates a lot of uncertainty at the small business level. But you know, small businesses don't have their equi- equities traded on Wall Street, so that might explain some of the dichotomy between what's going on on the ground and what's going on in Wall Street. What's the role of, uh, of the Internet in, in keeping a lot of American small business afloat? Um. Yeah, it's hard to say. Probably not a whole lot. Um, and that if you're a small business and you sell your products online, that certainly helps. Or if you're a, a restaurant and you can um, do takeout online to some sort of online system, that probably helps. Uh, but most biz- small businesses are, you know, the brick and mortar traditional retailer. And, you know, the Internet's not going to do a whole lot to help them out. Uh, if you talk to small businesses, more of the service sector, you know, landscaping, maybe construction, a contractor, um, they're working outside, so they've been reopened. A second wave of a shutdown, unless things go way back to where they were mid-March, probably isn't going to affect them. I think the Internet's more crucial for uh, either people who are working at home, um, which may be some small businesses, probably people who are working in larger corporations are the ones working at home. And the Internet's probably crucial just for people who are stuck at home being able to have contact with the outside world, um, get their news, of course, 
uh, participate in social media outrage mobs, um, and also just be able to order various products that, if there was a shutdown, would be totally unavailable. So back to the shutdown in March, um, you know, places like um, big retailers were even closed. So just having online shopping available was really a lifeline to a lot of people. And uh, I, I've noticed that there's been a um, uh, uh, an increase in uh, back-ordered items, things that are out of stock. And a lot of people are blaming that on the um, on the shut either either on the shutdown coming from the the COVID nineteen crisis and various stay at home orders and lockdowns and so on, um, but also uh, blaming it on uh, tariffs and and freezes in. Um, uh, the import export of uh, of goods and it's uh, making some products a little difficult or at least um, uh, slowing down delivery on some of those things um is that from covid19 is it from tariffs and and import export restrictions what what is causing the delay in the uh, uh product availability and, and delivery schedules? Yeah, I don't think it's um, necessarily tariffs, and that I don't see a big change in tariffs before and after COVID-19. I have noticed the back order issue, too. Um, lots of clothing, various consumer goods are back ordered. I've got to know going to Walmart, um, various summer items have been back ordered. Like I wanted to buy a new inflatable chair for a swimming pool and you know, that was out of stock. And I think the reason is, is that lots of that stuff is made in China. And COVID-19 has completely disrupted global supply chains. It certainly has made our relationship with China worse, the U.S.'s relationship with China. But I don't think that necessarily explains the back order issue. I think it's just that the Chinese economy was shut down. Talk, you're talking January and February where factories weren't running. So as a result, there's a big back order of orders that those factories produce. You know, there's a back order to get things shipped across the Pacific Ocean from China, which is now rippling into various things being out of stock on American store shelves. So it's just one more ripple of the shutdowns caused by COVID-19. And um, what happens to our economy when um, when the various uh, governments, the states uh, around the country and and the federal government, for that matter, have to start repaying the assistance that's been provided during the shutdowns? Well, um, the federal government probably will never repay the assistance provided for the fed, for the government shutdown or for the economic shutdown, in the sense that that assistance just gets tacked on from the national debt, and the national debt never gets repaid. It just continues to get rolled over when the debt comes due because, for whatever reason, uh, the private sector still has a strong demand for U.S. government securities. So, yeah, my prediction would be that the cumulative effect of the shutdown is it just tax on another 5 or $6 trillion to the national debt, and the national debt just stays firmly higher, continues growing until either it stops growing or 
you know, something bad happens that causes it to stop growing, which we certainly don't want to have happen because um, something bad happening means that people just stop buying U.S. national debt. And a debt, a debt crisis is always really messy where interest rates spike and all of a sudden the government can't cover its budget deficit, which it, then it has to do either by flashy government spending or trying to raise taxes or just printing money to cover the, the difference. So that's why I would predict for the federal government, this makes the budget deficit bigger, maybe that causes problems, maybe it doesn't. You know, the states are in a trickier situation because states have to balance their budget. They just can't tack all this extra assistance onto the state budget deficit and just let the state budget deficit be bigger forever. You know, states have to figure out what to do in the form of either raising taxes or cutting state spending. Raising taxes is tricky because economic activity is reduced due to the shutdown. So, you know, raising the income tax rate or raising the sales tax rate doesn't do a whole lot if people are earning income or if people aren't spending money due to a shutdown. And then you start talking about reducing state spending. Well, you could furlough state workers. Um, that doesn't save a whole lot of money. I think that's saving the state of Michigan about $80 million, which sounds like a lot, but it's a drop in the bucket to a $3 billion revenue shortfall. Um, so reducing state spending means cutting aid to higher education, maybe reducing funding for K-12 education, making the roads worse by reducing road spending. Um, those are pretty unappealing options. So there's really no good way forward for the state. Although I think what they're hoping for is a second stimulus, which provides a trillion dollars or so to state governments um, for the federal government to cover those state shortfalls. And essentially what that would be doing is allow the state to put their debt on the tab of the federal debt. This might be um, a little bit parenthetical to the things we usually talk about, uh, Chris, when it comes to the economy, but just recently the uh, Genesee County Board of Commissioners uh, started uh, taking some actions to address some, some budget shortfalls they had, especially with regard to legacy costs and, and retiree uh, uh, retirement programs and, and benefits for retired county workers. Um, and it seemed like just a very short time ago, I mean, as, as short a time ago as maybe four or five years ago, they had a really good bond rating, and the county seemed to be in pretty good shape financially uh, while municipalities and, and townships and villages were were struggling um, with uh, you know um, budget shortfalls uh, left and right, what happened at the county? Did uh, did the economy just catch up with them? Um, yeah, that's a good question. It's hard to know exactly what the answer is, other than um, there is always this unfunded liability problem, and over time, it just gets a lot worse as you get more people retiring, people get older. Healthcare premiums go up, so maybe that's catching up with the county. That's what my prediction would be. I think their bond rating is probably still pretty good, assuming they have it borrowed to cover the shortfall and unfunded liabilities. Uh, I think the problem is, is just, you know, fast forward six or seven years, and that makes people older, which makes the unfunded liability problem that much more severe. And that's a problem you see a lot of municipalities around the country, that 
various state, county, and city governments are trying to figure out how do we pay for all these pension and health care benefits that we prob- promised workers 30, 40 years ago. You look at a sh- city like Chicago, even before COVID-19 hit, there's something like $20 billion in the hole in terms of what they've promised to pay out versus what they could afford to pay out. Now, the state of Illinois has been at a financial crisis basically since the Great Recession due to unfunded pension and health care liabilities. And the problem the state of Illinois faces is they can't change those pension and health care liabilities because they're guaranteed by the state constitution and amending the state constitution is quite the process. I think it requires a two-thirds vote by the state to do so. So Genesee County is just finding themselves in the same pickle that the rest of the country is finding themselves in, in that these benefits were promised 30 years ago. Now the bill is coming due. No one th- knows how to pay for it. And the longer that's delayed, um, the bigger the bill is as people get older and more people retire and more people try to collect these benefits. Is, and this is this is a hard question to answer, but is is the economy by and large um, from from local governments all the way up to the federal government um, mismanaged? Um, <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a big question. I think so. There's always you know the, the one hand or the other hand answer, but if I'm going to avoid that type of answer, I would say the answer is yes. And the mismanagement has happened for a large number of years, and it's just started to compound to catch up with us. So certainly promising you know, massive health care retiree benefits you know, 30 and 40 years ago without having a mechanism to pay for it is a massive form of mismanagement. But it's a problem, or the, the, the mismanagement is caused by a problem in economics called time inconsistency. You know, that just means people making the decision to the present aren't the ones who are going to be dealing with it as a future. That's someone else's problem. So if you're an elected official, say the mayor of Chicago 30 years ago, you know, you could promise big health care and pension benefits to your municipal workers that buys you labor market peace in the sense that there's no strike. It also buys you political support because these guys vote, provide campaign contributions and so forth. Well, what the bill comes to do, you know, that's the mayor you know, 30 or 40 years down the road's problem, and that's going to be a different guy. Um, and you see that with um, the Congress, um, things like Medicare. Um, that caused a massive hole in the federal budget, but, you know, Medicare was passed in the mid-1960s. You know, that's going to be the Congress's problem of the year 2000 and beyond to figure out. That's going to be a different Congress. I think a lot of the mismanagement... And the, yeah, I think a lot of the mismanagement of the economy is from that time inconsistency problem. You see that with the roads, too, right? You pave a road... That you don't fund the upkeep, you know, shift the funds to other problems. That's going to cause the road to decay. But you know, that's going to be the problem for the state government thirty years in the future. That's going to be a different state government. So yeah. I think that's a huge source of the mismanagement: is that people do things that give an immediate benefit, but the the cost, the can gets kicked far down the road, and you know we're the ones who are down the road from cans being kicked. And and it seems like the can keeps getting bigger, and it it gets kicked. A little less far down the road each time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a problem. And eventually, the cans can be so big that you kick it; it's not going to move. <laughs> right, right. And we have a real mess in our hands. Hey, Chris, we have to. I, I want to talk some more, but we have to take a short break here. Can you stick around for a couple of minutes, and we'll talk some more? All right, sounds good. 
All right, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back and talk some more with Chris Douglas about the economy right after this. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed. 
a magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hey this is first ward city councilman eric mays and you're listening to the tom sumner program and welcome back, everybody. I'm talking with economist uh, Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. Welcome back, Chris. Hey, thanks, Bob. Good to be here. Um, <clears throat> just before the break, we were talking about uh, our, our history of um, economic management by elected officials and, and people in regulatory agencies and, and other forms of the government uh kicking cans down the road and the cans getting bigger and bigger and you made the the point that at some point the the can gets so big you kick it and it just won't move but um how did how do we did we just get to that point uh organically it just uh you know from constantly kicking the can down the road it just got bigger and bigger to where it seems like it's completely unmanageable and 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 i want to factor into this at at toward the end of the bill clinton administration they claim to have um balanced the budget for the first time in i don't know how long um and then almost immediately the budget seems completely out of whack again um, was that a, a real balancing of the budget, or was that kind of a smokescreen? So I think it was a real balancing of the budget in the sense that revenues really did exceed expenditures. And I think that was for a few reasons. First, at the end of the 1990s, the economy was at a, a record economic boom, where you have record low unemployment, record high economic growth. It was really a an abnormally strong economic boom. And we haven't seen one since then. But when you have a, a big economic boom like that, well, that causes tax revenues to naturally go up as there's just more economic activity, meaning a bigger tax base to be taxed. You get the surge of revenues due to that tax boom. And the can that we're talking about had it grown too large in size by that point. Um, the economic boom of the late 1990s was caused by record low oil prices. Um, if you can remember, gas was really cheap, so people are driving around like these huge SUVs, um, big profits for the automotive companies making those SUVs. The late 1990s were a good time for ge General Motors. The Internet was really being widely adapted at that point, so you get this big run-up in stock prices, which fuels an economic boom. Well, it was really short-lived. Um, 2001, March to November 2001, there's a recession. So that causes tax revenues to not necessarily collapse because it was a mild recession, but it causes the good times to end, which depresses tax revenues. And then you start seeing you know, that proverbial can getting bigger as we get more and more baby boomers starting to retire, which puts pressure on Social Security and particularly Medicare. Um, and we all knew that was coming, even in the late 1990s, it just was ignored, because solving that problem re requires some real difficult political decisions. Do you raise taxes? Do you reduce benefits? You know, entitlements like Social Security and Medicare are always called the third rail of American politics, because if you touch it as a politician, you know, that electrifies, electrocutes your career. So no one wants to touch it. So... I think that explains why the balance of budgets 
the budget was balanced in the late 1990s and why um, that balancing was really short-lived, coupled with some tax cuts in the, in the early years of the Bush administration, 2001-2002, which looked fiscally irresponsible in retrospect, uh, that coupled with um, the war on terror, which is very expensive, too. Um, and, and I think all that... When you mentioned uh, the the recession in two thousand one, did did the uh, um, attack on September eleventh and the bringing down of the uh, World Trade uh, Towers have an impact on the economy? Um, not really, because that recession begins March of one, and the World Trade Center attack is September of one. So the economy was already six months deep into a recession when that attack happened. Um, that recession was mostly caused by a stock market crash that you have the dot-com bubble bursting and the NASDAQ stock exchange loses more than half of its value. Um, so all of a sudden people who thought they're getting rich with Internet stocks find themselves not so rich. Plus you have um, a loss of consumer confidence because you have a lot of accounting scandals going out at the time. That's what you have, the famous MCI WorldCom scandal. You have the Tyco scandal, um, where the accounting firm Arthur Anderson was cooking the books for these major corporations, allowing them to overstate earnings to show profits and, and goose their stock price. All that was exposed throughout that time period, too. And then, really, what you have in 2001 is you just have that big economic boom ending, which... Um, helped cause the recession too that where you go from four percent economic growth at three percent unemployment to basically no economic growth as the unemployment rate ticking up a few notches so i think the 2001 recession was caused by those factors not really 9-11 is is there a cycle to that because it seems like uh um you know after we we started recovering from from that recession and it's seven years later, 2008, and we get slammed again. Yeah, um, I think the economy is characterized by these boom-bust cycles, and you can even go farther back to see that. Where the mid to late 1960s, you get this big boom um, due to government spending in the form of the Vietnam War, plus uh, the war on poverty, plus the big tax cut, um, the Kennedy-Johnson tax cut in 1964, I believe. So that fuels a huge boom, and then that turns to bust in the 1970s with inflation coupled with a couple oil shocks. And then, you know, the 1980s, you get a boom. You know, there's a minor bust in 1990, but that's mostly due to an oil shock with the Gulf War. Uh, but then you get the 1990s boom we talked about, you know, that that turns to bust. And then that's replaced by a housing boom in the mid-2000s. Well, that goes to bust in the Great Recession. But I think one reason why the recovery from the Great Recession was pretty disappointing is that there is no boom to take the place of the housing boom. You just kind of get a slow-growth recession. You know, the unemployment rate is slow to come down. And that probably would be continuing today had COVID-19 hit. So that's the bust we're facing today. But it's really unrelated to... Um, the future booms we've seen, whereas the bust we've been talking about were always preceded by a boom related to the bust. So I think that's what makes COVID-19 unique is that this completely external shock that hits the economy by surprise. Is there, um, when when the uh, dust 
clears from COVID-19, is there an anticipated new boom-bust scenario? It's hard to say. Um, I worry that there's more likely to be a bust than a boom. So I suppose the boom could be, well, if production has been shut down, the stay-at-home orders, you know, what's production resumes? You know, there'll be this huge surge in production to make up for what was lost. So that's a potential boom. You know, likewise, if people are going stir-crazy at home and the stay-at-home orders are lifted and people really rush to go back out to eat, to travel again to make up for what was lost, well, there might be a boom in that sense, is that there's some catch-up production and consumption that takes place. Um, that really hinges on how quickly the virus is dissipated, how quickly people feel comfortable going back out into public. Um, uh, it just depends on if this uptick in cases we're seeing results in an uptick in hospitalizations and fatalities. That doesn't seem to be the case right now, but it remains to be seen over the next month or so. I'm more worried that it's more likely there's going to be a bust in the sense that you're adding you know, 6 or $7 trillion maybe to the federal budget deficit or the national debt coupled with you know yearly deficits of you know $2 trillion or so. You know, that's just a lot of money for the government to borrow year to year to roll, roll over the debt that's coming due plus add new debt to the national debt. Um, at some point, if the public becomes saturated with debt and people say, well, we think we're good at government securities, we don't want to buy anymore, well, then the government's in real trouble if they can't borrow anymore to cover the deficit. Well, um, Chris, thanks so much for uh, sharing your expertise with us today, and uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Yeah, me too. It's great to be here, as always. All right, take care. As Chris hey, does. That's Chris Douglas. He is uh, from the University of Michigan, Flint. Good evening and welcome to the Money Program. Tonight, on the Money Program, we're going to look at money. Lots of it on film and in the studio. Some of it in nice piles, others in lovely clanky bits of loose change. Some of it neatly counted into fat little hundreds, delicate fivers stuffed into bulging wallets, nice, crisp, clean checks, pert pieces of copper coinage thrust deep into trouser pockets, romantic foreign money rolling against the thigh with rough familiarity, beautiful wayward calicute banknotes, filigree copper plating cheek by jowl with tumbling hexagonal milled edges rubbing gently against the terse leather of beautifully balanced bank books. Sorry, but I love money. All money. I've always wanted money to handle, to touch the smell of the rainwashed florin, the lure of the lira, the glitter and the glory of the guinea, the romance of the rouble, the feel of the franc, the heel of the Deutschmark, the cold antiseptic sting of the Swiss franc, and the sunburnt splendor of the Australian dollar. I've got. Ninety thousand pounds in my pajamas. I've got forty thousand French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills will buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash.
Pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 